0: This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard.
1: A special edition of The Farming Programme today as we look back on 2020. Hello, I'm Steve Orchard. Hope you had as good a Christmas as possible under the circumstances. 2020 then, a year many of us will want to forget. The weather, Covid, Brexit, the agriculture bill, poor harvests and continuing rural crime, along with financial pressures, the ever-changing regulations, speculation and concerns about the future. But there were some positives, as Ronan Keating once sang, life has been a bit of a roller coaster this year. Or was that Stuart Roberts, Deputy President of the NFU? Well,
0: look, 2020 has been um, a, a real roller coaster of a year. I look back and I think about the uncertainty we're still faced with, the answers we are still seeking when it comes to trade and, and, and Brexit. Um, but it's also been some huge highs, the public support we had for Uh, our standards petition earlier in the year, um, and some of the progress we've made in in other areas. Um, It really has been a roller coaster. But look, farmers have also spent every day of the year producing some of the finest foods in the world, to some of the highest standards in the world. Uh, And we're going to continue to do that uh, whatever the next weeks, months or years hold.
1: Those food standards post-Brexit have been the subject of much discussion this year. Here's regular contributor to the programme, Andrew Ward.
0: We've had Brexit ongoing throughout the year and trade deals which are still to do, which are so important for the future of our industry. The Agricultural Bill is now sorted. The Trade and agriculture Commission is now on a statutory footing. But trying to get imports to match UK-produced food is proving very difficult the government won't seem to budge on that one. As a UK farmer, I'm proud of the high standards of food production, whether it's food safety, environmental protection or animal welfare. And I think it's only right that our imports match those. And I think when we start to look at the environment and the world that we live in, a lot of the area around the countryside in in the UK is the envy of the world but it's like that because it's been managed for generations by farmers and livestock on the fells. I would actually like to thank all of you listeners for supporting British agriculture and supporting us for buying British food. We love living in the countryside and working in the countryside and keeping it so that you can all enjoy it. But without you supporting our industry and buying our food, that wouldn't be possible.
1: Early in the year, it was water, water everywhere and then high temperatures and soil like concrete. But as Sean Sparling said in his Christmas poem last week, at least we had a harvest. Sum up 2020 for us, Sean.
2: Yes, yeah, so a look back on 2020, Steve. I swore I'd never do this and this will be the first and last time I do it. We have to go back a little bit further into the autumn of 2019. Over 17 inches of rain in the last 100 days from the 23rd of September and a blistering drought up until the 23rd of September. And that meant that around 60% of the oilseed rape we lost as a combination of that drought and the cabbage stem flea beetle and the wet feet. But also 90% of the winter cereals didn't get drilled last autumn. So we moved in to 2020 started wet. Thankfully, a lull in the rain in January though, 34.6mm, but then the wettest February on record, 138mm at home, and that meant tempers were fraying, nerves were buckling, and brows were furrowing on even the most frequently Botoxed of forehead. Winter wheat that did manage to go in last autumn looked okay, but by the time we got to harvest, thanks to all those wet feet, you know, it underperformed, and we were down 15% at best, and up to 70% at worst. Thankfully though, it dried up. In March, 127 millimetres of rain and windy, and that meant we started to see some light at the end of the drilling tunnel. And 98 millimetres of rain in April, temperatures in the 20s, plus more wind drying the job out, May, 11.6 millimetres of rain, again windy, and again very warm, temperatures in the high 20s from the middle of the month onwards. So it got dry enough to drill from around the end of March quite widely on the right soil types, and when you consider all the usual spring cropping had to go in, plus 90% of all the winter cereals area, plus 50 to 60% of the failed oilseed rape area, All of that lot had to go in, in the space of what ended up as about four weeks. And I think, personally, it was almost miraculous that we ended up with any harvest at all.
1: So what sort of problems did that create, Sean? And how did the problems manifest themselves? The problem was that after all that wet stuff last autumn, the lack of drying, the wettest
2: February on record, followed by the heat and the wind and the lack of rain through March, April and May, the weight of water had already compacted those seed beds, um, with over 5,000 tonnes of water per hectare, over 2,000 tonnes of water per acre pushing down on these soils. We're left with a lot of compaction and a huge increase as a result of the weather in the areas of spring cereals and pulses. Now sadly many of the seed beds consisted of baked clods the size of your fist or your head sitting on two or three millimetres of dust if you were lucky and all sat on a concrete roadway. Not the ideal medium to grow things in. So getting seeds to actually germinate was a challenge in the now hot, dry and cloddy seed beds. So emergence, you know, just it didn't happen until mid to late June in some cases and yields suffered accordingly. So spring wheat at 400 plants per square metre, the normal sort of drilling rate for spring wheat when you're adding a bit and you're allowing for losses, it didn't tiller, and we ended up at harvest, therefore, with about 30% too few ears, so one and three quarters to two tonnes of spring wheat was far more common than three tonnes. Spring barley, similarly, struggled to get a foothold, struggled to get away, struggled to germinate, and the scorching temperatures in June and July meant that spraying fungicides, herbicides, etc., was best served during the hours of darkness. That was the most sensible thing to do, because air temperatures in the day of 25, 26 degrees, we were finding canopy temperatures in of 35 degrees C. Now 100 litres of water per hectare is 10 millilitres of water per square metre. Far less than 1% of that is the active ingredient of the fungicide, the herbicide, etc. That's a teaspoon and a bit being applied as a fine mist onto 35 degree heat if we sprayed in the day, evaporating before it even hits the target. A very, very complicated season. Disease levels, though, quite low in most spring barley. so every cloud has a silver lining, I think. But spring wheat fared really badly in most places, as did the spring barley. The spring barley nitrogens were very high because of the lack of dilution, because of the lower yield. That meant that moulting quality, concentration of nitrogen in the grain, was very hard to achieve, and prices disappointed with the choice that the molsters had of so many hectares of spring barley being grown. Spring milling wheat, the nitrogen in the grain was similarly high, but that's a good thing in milling because that means the proteins are higher. But as I said, the yields were so poor, it sort of minimised the, the bonuses which were paid out. Spring oats, you know, absolute nightmare spring oat. They were ready to harvest, but then we took a battering from the wind and most of the spring oats shed out before the combines even got near the field. So all in all, a very bad year for spring cereals. Too wet to get them in initially, too dry to get the things to germinate and come through the ground and then way too hot and dry to grow and fill them. So 2020 really was a year to forget for spring cereals. What about the beans and peas? Spring beans were okay, Far more chocolate spot than we used to. Because of the heat in May and June and early July, brookid beetle, not as bad as last year, but still very much a player out there. So yields of spring beans ended up down around 25% in general. Peas, they looked great once we eventually got them up because of those dry, hot, arid conditions. Disease levels were quite low because of the conditions throughout April, May and June. June, but it was that lack of rainfall through the podfill period that meant they were down 25% on previous years as well and a lot of these peas for human consumption were bleached so woohoo um, so linseed absolute disaster not saying any more about linseed potatoes potatoes a bit all over the place the irrigated were always going to be best but it wasn't all about water it was also about the blight pressure because thundery years are blighty years and it was a real blighty year this year it was an achievement to keep blight under control at all this year despite all of those conditions You add to that the effects of the wet autumn and the winter and February and all of those things played a part too because we saw nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus deficiency in most of the spring crops, potatoes included, along with sulphur, all moved through the profile or leached through in cases of nitrogen and sulphur. So that reliable uh, labile pool of sulphur, that reliable 50-60 kilos of soil source organic nitrogen just wasn't there potash availability very compromised as well and it led to widespread nutritional issues out there potato yields really range from the good to the bad and the downright ugly and harvesting similarly awful in some cases and very very challenging lifting conditions It's
1: been a challenging year especially for sugar beet hasn't it? Establishment and emergence was
2: well I mean it was just the start of our problems really we got it in very very badly in some fields in March and then as it dried up we waited and we waited with some fields and areas in fields just not even emerging until the middle to the end of June. Mises persicke that started to hit threshold early May, a month earlier than it normally would. The ladybirds, the wasps, the predators, they didn't appear until early June. So with no neonicotinoid seed treatment, you know, and a reliance upon foliar insecticides uh, while those predators decided whether or not they were going to come in, the battle really began and the temperatures really didn't help. Viruses, though, beat yellows virus, beat mild yellows virus, beat mosaic, beat chlorosis. All easy to find and an awful lot of them never really seen apart from in textbooks. But they were everywhere. So the crop itself struggled. Was that down to virus or nitrogen? When a plant has virus, it grows worse. It gets yellower and yellower. When it's nitrogen, the old leaves are yellow, but the new growth grows better. It grows green. And there was an awful lot of that out there this year. But the virus is far more widespread than I have ever seen. Couple that to the late emergence, to the nutrition issues... Add to all of that the disappointing weed control from some of the residuals. Remember, um, a teaspoon and a bit onto thirty-seven degree soils. That means the residuals sort of evaporated before they started, and they really underperformed. Then we had a very wet August onto the sugar beet crops, with seventy percent emergence at best, no crop competition, and that saw very late flushes of all seed rate fat end bindweed, willow weed filling up those gaps. So we ended up with some very scruffy fields.
1: Was there anything positive about twenty twenty? There were a few bright
2: spots and things to learn where Barley Crovercops went in, for example to stop the beet blowing, that seemed to lead to lower levels of virus, something to do with the green dots that the aphids see from above as they fly over the fields. It misleads them. I don't think anybody really knows why, but noticeably less virus in such fields. So all in all, a shocker of a sugar beet year. Um, And when you think that some of these crops didn't come up until June and then they were lifted mid-October, they got four months to grow rather than the six or seven they would normally get. So for March drilled, we normally drill... 5th of March and it's up on the 5th of April this year we drilled the 10th of March and it was up on the 20th of June so everything struggled. All in all, I'm pleased to see the back of 2020 sugar beet absolutely soul destroy. And I just hope that British Sugar now see some more empathy and recognition of the issues these growers face. They're best helped by an increase in the price per ton that they pay for the to the growers. Rather than these riddles wrapped in enigmas and unfathomable sequence of caveats they're putting on um, all of the um, reimbursement protocols that they're putting into place. So there will be many, many beet growers who've just had enough. And I can't say I blame them so all in all I'm pretty glad to be rid of 2020 it just proves how much we need the weather to be with us so hopefully it will be in 2021 onwards
1: Were there any positives in 2020? Well, yes, the wine harvest was good.
3: Yeah, we've had a good crop here in uh, North Lincolnshire. It's been absolutely good. We've had lots of bunches but small grapes with a very good natural alcohol content of between 11 and 12%. So we've had a good year, plenty of tonnage, and we've even exported them this year.
1: Where do you export to, then? Yorkshire. That's Bill Hobson, Summerby Vineyards. The NFU petition to raise awareness of the predicament facing UK agriculture and food and the risks to standards post-Brexit grew to enormous proportions, confirming what we already knew, that the British public don't want to see the standards of imported food to be below the very high standards of that produced in the UK. Well over a million people signed the petition, calling on the government as it starts to negotiate trade deals to put into law rules that prevent food being imported to the UK, which is produced in ways that would be illegal here. Money has been one of the big challenges in 2020, with a lack of markets for products in this Covid world added to the weather, has had many looking to their bank for assistance. One such bank manager is Brian Richardson, UK Head of Agriculture at Clydesdale and Yorkshire Bank. Brian, despite all the challenges, we've kept on going though.
3: I think it shows the robustness of the industry really, that despite all that, we started the year off with some very severe flooding, and then we run into the the challenges around covid the supply chain keeping the supermarket shelves filled but you know farmers have come through this they've, they've adapted their businesses after a very short period of time really of, of sort of four to six weeks getting the supply chain going things really settled back down to normal and i think farmers should be credited for that and uh We've we've come through this, I think, a bit stronger industry in some ways. That people have had to work together and get on, and it's got the supply chain working with, with farmers a bit closer as well. So, a lot of challenges, but there's been a lot of good come out of the year as well.
1: What kind of challenges have your customers had to face this year, then, Brian? I
3: think I think it was at, at the if we think back to the spring of the year when you know a lot of our dairy customers didn't know where the milk was actually going because there's been this massive change around twenty percent of the milk that normally goes into food service suddenly didn't have a home and, and needed to be right, redirected. So I think yeah, we worked very closely we, with government and a lot of agencies to, to support our farmers through that. What in the end turned out to be short-term upheaval, that pinched some cash flows in the, in the short term. As I say, thankfully since then, I think things have returned to normal. Uh, there's perhaps been less challenge in terms of supermarkets chasing price, and it's been more important for them to keep food on on the shelf so that's helped it and if you look at most commodity areas uh, uh, at the moment they, they are you know at the top end of two and three year averages which is good for the industry but there has been challenges there and farmers haven't been able to get on with doing things the normal way i think there has been a slowing down of investment as well as you know they haven't been able to get builders and contractors in and they put plans on hold while, while they just get through this and, and uh, the wider population gets through COVID. So that word robustness used an awful lot, but I think there's also been a lot of adaptability in getting on and a lot of cross-working across the industry, as I say, which is a good thing to see.
1: How has the banking sector been able to help its customers?
3: Yeah, the, the banking sector and, and not just our organisation, but all of them, I think we, we set up, it's very much a relationship-based business. We recognize this is a long-term industry, so try not to be reactionary to the short term. I think all our managers have really good relationships with their, their customers they're at the end of a phone call, and whilst all our team were, were very quickly all working from home, Uh, They kept in touch with the customers, made sure their requirements were were met, made sure the various government schemes were understood, and we implemented those. And as an organization, I think the banking industry stood up tremendously well to get the bounce back loans and the civil loans out there and working very quickly. So I think it has been... This availability of working capital, this reassurance that uh, we are there for them in the long term. And then as things have settled down, we've been able to work with them in terms of their longer term plans. And we're at the stage now where we're actually looking forward at what will be a new agricultural regime as we get into next year.
1: Brian returns to us next week to turn the focus in the other direction and look forward to 2021 and the opportunities that the new year will bring. We've had over 50 different contributors to the farming programme this year and I want to say a big thank you to everyone. It would have been lovely to have actually met our contributors in person this year, but, uh, well, maybe next year. Like me, I'm sure you've missed everything that the agriculture and country shows bring to the calendar. Jane Southall is Chief Executive of Lincolnshire Showground. Jane, we'll chat next week about your plans for 2021, but for this year, the lack of the big show must have hit hard.
4: Yeah, everything's hit us hard really. I mean um, from March time we, when we announced that the show wasn't going to go ahead. I mean we did do a, a virtual show which we had over 60,000 visitors which was great because we wanted to keep the show alive but other events on the show ground haven't been able to go ahead. Um, we've still tried to continue with our charitable work so, you know, we, I've got two education and development officers and uh, we did uh, introduced armchair agriculture where we could still engage with children and with schools. But it's been a completely different year to to, to normal. Yeah,
1: I think everybody really, really misses the show I that there's so much... There's just so much there, isn't there? There's educational opportunities, there's just the camaraderie, there's opportunities to buy stuff. And of course, you know, hopefully we'd be there as well. But it's, it is one of the, the social aspect is probably the biggest thing that people have said to me that they really miss from the lack of agriculture and and, uh, county shows this year.
4: Yes, but it's been 136 years this year, the Lincolnshire Show, and it's an opportunity for people to get together uh, across businesses. And and we are social people, aren't we? And it's the interaction that people are missing, aren't they, really? I mean, we can do the virtual events and different things. It's not the same as being actually there in person, is it?
1: Now, I mean, the virtual show was, was excellent, as you say, got loads well, and loads of people there, but it's yep. not quite the same as going and having a, a pint or a coffee with somebody you've not seen for six months, is it? No, no,
4: it's not. So no. we need to get back to that, don't we?
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Jane. We've talked tech quite regularly through the year. This is one area of positivity from 2020 in terms of what's been achieved and what's on the horizon. Precision farming, the use of robots and AI, for example. David Whitewood is CEO of technology company Earth Rover. The last time you and I met, David, was at a rather nicer day than this at Polybell Farms back in September, and uh, you showed me some of the equipment. We talked about crop scouting, precision farming. It's been quite a busy year for technology in the agriculture sector, hasn't it? What have we seen this year?
5: I think the biggest thing, Stephen, and a lot of people haven't noticed this, is Google's entry into this space. So Google, with their Mineral uh, X project, is effectively copying what Earthrover has been doing with uh, its crop scouting technology uh, on a Google scale. It's quite exciting. For me, it validates the importance of what Earthrover is trying to do with per-plant farming uh, in helping farmers to increase their yields uh, and reduce the crop waste that they've got in the field.
1: So you don't see Google as competition. You see it as uh, an exciting development.
5: I think uh, Google's entry is exciting. Uh, what this sector has lacked uh, is investment. I think I mentioned that to you before uh, when we met in September. Um, there's a lot of people sitting on the fence looking at agriculture saying it has to digitise. We need robotics. Uh, you know, we, we It needs to change. There aren't a lot of people opening their checkbooks uh, as yet. But you know, with Google coming into this space, well, it just validates that this is an exciting and uh, valuable opportunity for investors. Over Rover we won a grant, an Innovate grant, uh, to develop a harvesting robot that will selectively harvest uh, broccoli, and this is going to help uh, with the shortage of people who want to walk fields and cut broccoli. So we should, um, well, we will be demonstrating this at the end of June next year uh, when we finish the project um, as the first phase of that that development. And then I guess the other thing that we'll be showing or starting to show early next year uh, is our light weeding uh, robot. And this uses the power of concentrated light to kill weeds without contact, uh, without herbicides, uh, without tilling and damaging the soil. Uh, and does it totally carbon-free, so chemical-free, carbon-free weeding robots.
1: Rural crime is a topic that, sadly, we have to revisit on a regular basis on the farming programme. Chief Inspector Phil Vickers of Lincolnshire Police. Has 2020 been the same, worse or better than in previous years?
6: I think 2020 has been a really difficult year, not just for us but for our rural and for our farming communities. We've, We've seen the face of rural crime change uh, we're continuing to see that change as we go through the, the sort of the Brexit period into 2021. But um, we kind of recognise, we feel the same way as our rural communities. It, it's been a difficult year.
1: You say it's it's changed. How has crime changed in 2020? Well, we've seen some of the things that we anticipated and we predicted. So we've seen a reduction
6: perhaps in the number of large farm vehicles that have been stolen, and we've seen a move towards smaller, high-value technical pieces of equipment. That's one of the things that we anticipated as part of the change that would be associated with Brexit as the organised crime groups that, that use container ports to, to get rid of those stolen vehicles have, have found that more difficult, and they've moved to, to smaller, smaller items. In Lincolnshire, um, we've seen some changes around Operation Galileo, As well, Uh, the previous two years were the lowest two that we've had on record. Um, We've led the the country um, in terms of the operation. Uh, We started with twelve forces this last this year. We're now on uh, twenty-one forces, part of Galileo, to tackle hair coursing. Uh, The fact is that we've seen some displacement. We've seen the offenders moving around the country. Um, And twenty twenty, we've started the season with an increase in the number of hair coursing incidents. That there's been a real challenge for us.
1: What about fly tipping? That was certainly a problem. Uh, last time we spoke. And and again, the partners that are involved in tackling fly-tipping
6: have have started to make some really good progress uh, during 2020. Uh, In Lincolnshire we tend to see more of the small volume but a lot of uh, isolated locations and and again it's our rural communities that suffer. Uh, We have seen some industrial uh, scale, Uh, organised crime groups again uh, dumping large quantities in the county, although that is the rare exception, that's that's something that we tend to see more often elsewhere in the country and and we learn the lessons, we learn from uh, other police forces and from partners that we work with. The Environment Agency are a fantastic organisation for us to to work with when tackling uh, fly-tipping, and and we continue to do so. And ultimately, you know, we're all on the same side here, and um, we need those early reports. We work with the district councils in Lincolnshire um, to tackle fly-tipping. But again, um, it's a blight on our landscape and a real challenge for us all
1: progress being made but still plenty to do
6: plenty to do absolutely and we are as i say both on all on the same side that you know we we really want lincolnshire to be the the safest place in the country and we're working hard to achieve that it's a real challenge from a policing point of view um uh, but we go into into 21 optimistic that you know we're working together with the right partners and and we've got the same commitment to 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 make lincolnshire safer Uh, i guess that the only thing i'd want to add would be uh, to wish you and and all of your listeners across lincolnshire and the east midlands uh, uh, a peaceful 2021
1: and the same to you and your colleagues phil okay so let's consign 2020 to the non-recycling bin of history next week we'll turn the focus on the new year will it be more positive than the year just ending where will brexit take us what's on the technological horizon how will climate change affect our everyday lives and businesses and will covid eventually disappear what are our hopes desires and predictions for 2021 find out next sunday at seven and from half past on the website the app and all podcast platforms finally from me steve orchard and all involved with the farming program have a happy healthy prosperous and positive new year